0: Good morning, branches. How we doing? Week before Christmas. uh, I've just realized, you know, it's something in Oregon I've never... Because we've lived in a few different houses since we've been married, and I I was never a garage guy. You know, I'm like, I never wanted a garage. If I ever have a garage, I'm like, I'm going to use it for extra living space. Like, I'm not going to park my car in it. And I finally realized it as a guy who gets up early. um, that Garages are nice because... uh, (laughs) Yeah, I've been driving my truck lately, and I, it doesn't fit in the garage. And so, I, I mean, it takes like 30 minutes to unthaw that thing. It is so annoying. It is so frustrating. So, good on you. I know some of you guys probably tried for first service today and didn't quite make it because of the, the great frostmageddon happening outside of right now. But it's okay. We're getting through it. You know, I have this thing. Um, when people don't like to be called out and don't like to be, like, brought attention to, I like to bring attention to them and call them out. Um, It's just a thing that I have. I don't know what you call it. But uh, anyway, it's Josh's birthday today, and he didn't want me to tell him. He didn't want me to tell him, tell people, because then everybody's like, happy birthday, happy birthday. And so now you just tell him happy birthday when you see him. He's 31 today. We sang for him first service. This is what you miss out on things sometimes. We had a gift for him. We sang for him first service. I didn't want to do that again because I didn't think it would be authentic because I already did it first service. So another reason to come to first service, there's a few more seats. Uh, The pastries are a little more fresh, like an hour fresher more fresher than they were now, than they are now. Anyway, coffee's maybe hotter, more hot. I don't even know how to talk sometimes, but it doesn't matter. Um, with other things that I need to mansplain some of Luke's uh, announcements as well. So when it comes to Christmas Eve, we're getting off to a good start today. When it comes to Christmas Eve, uh, there's four services, which is crazy. Uh, for, for me and my team, like, yeah, you do more than two and it begins like autopilot and it's weird. Um, I've never done four. This will be my first. Um, by the way, if you want to give to branches, you can do that on the app. Um, you can do that in the red boxes in the comments. Why I say that, someday we'd like to have a building that fits all of us. So I don't have to do four stinking services. I mean, it's four this year, so it's going to be five or six next year. Hey, growth. Is a good problem to have, but it is a problem. So you can give on the app, you can give online, you can give in the commons. Uh, we're looking forward to that in, in all seriousness. So. Um, but when it comes to the Christmas Eve services, uh, there's four of them. We have our normal because it takes place on a Sunday, which is kind of unique, 9 and 1030. You guys know those times. You're here right now. Um, and then we have four and five thirty as well. And we have tickets in the comments. Please take your tickets today. The, that's the 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 one that you want to kind of commit to, and just know the tickets. I'm not supposed to say this. People tell me every year, you're not Timmy. Don't say that. But I'm going to. Uh, you don't need a ticket to get in. We do it to spread out because we can say we have 50 services, and you could all show up to the same one. All right? So that's a problem. The issue is we don't have enough room. That's why we do so many services. So we need you to spread out. So take a ticket for each person that you intend on coming to that service. And if you're like, oh, shoot, you know, something happened or you get stuck defrosting your car and you're like, I'm not going to make it, you can come to a different service. And it's okay. Just be willing to give up your seat for someone who actually took a ticket and actually had the forethought to, you know, be a nice human being and take a ticket. Anyway. We're in this series called uh, Nativity Side B. I I thought this is uh, an interesting thing because when I became a pastor and I started realizing that it's expected that you preach about Christmas for like five weeks, it can't just be like the week of Christmas. I'm like, what else is there with Christmas besides baby Jesus, you know? I'm like, how many times can Jesus be born? Can I preach about that for five straight weeks? It's a great thing, greatest thing ever, right? But how am I supposed to talk about it for five straight weeks? Right? There's, so I just wanted to look into like, what else is there surrounding the birth story, the nativity as we call it. What other elements do we see? Because I really believe we've, we serve a God um, that is so far beyond what we can think or imagine in, in so many ways. And, and with, when it comes to the birth story, I don't think any of the other elements in the nativity are there by accident. I don't believe in accidents like that. Like there were obviously a lot of other things that happened during that. I mean, we don't have very many things about Jesus's birth story other than the shepherds, the wise men, you know, Mary and Joseph in the manger, a star was involved, you know, and angels and all that stuff. We don't really have much more than that. But you know, like, you know, Jesus is probably like a year old and Uncle Bill probably showed up from a farther, you know, further town to say, hey, you know, congratulations on the baby. He pro- No one wrote about that because it didn't matter. The things that made it into scripture, like they're there for a reason. So I really wanted to discover, you know, what are those things that we're missing in the nativity that still have meaning, but we kind of gloss over. Of course, Jesus is gonna be the main character because he is, but the rest of it, it doesn't mean that they don't have meaning. Um, And I think this is kind of like this. When when I uh, was growing up, music was my thing. Like, it just gave me the warm fuzzies. You guys know the warm fuzzies? A lot of you get that around Christmas time, just like those warm, fuzzy feelings. Music for me in high school, like that was the warm fuzzies. I'll, I'll never forget the first like real rock concert I went to. Uh, it was at a place in Portland. We're my rock concert people, like, or just concert people in general. If you, if there was like a show in town, you were like there, no matter what. Yeah, that's you. That was me. If there was a show in town, that was good. I remember there was this place in Portland called the Meow Meow. Anybody? It was like in the basement of some building. It was dirty. It was dingy. There was like pillars in the middle. It was a most horrible place. For, for a concert venue, but we went there, and we went hard. We rocked out, and I remember watching this band called Blindside. They're from Sweden. They were hard rock, some screamo involved, and it was epic. I was hooked after that. The, the lead singer, like, walked out into the crowd. People were, like, throwing punches, moshing. Like, I was like, this is amazing. You know, all my teenage aggression, like, I'm getting it out. You're allowed to punch people, and, like, yeah, it was crazy. It just did it for me, man. I, I just, I was hooked after that, and for me, too, I, I wanted to know why it was that these bands could write music including the like the guitar riffs and the breakdowns and the the vocal the lyrical content all that kind of stuff i'm like how could they make music that made me feel this way and so i kind of set out on a journey i'm like how is it like what what does it make that makes these bands tick like how are they able to write like this and so i would i would set out to really like know the bands Like to know the bands like from their origins, like go all the way back to the recordings that they did in like their dad's garage back in the day that they objectively, they sound bad, but you're still like, I want to know how it started. What makes them tick? What life experiences they have that led them to write such music that touches me to my deep, you know, the deep parts of my soul. Like, what is that? And so it's interesting as we look at like the first way that we had to like record music in mass quantities was the vinyl record. And as we look at them, we see uh, they have a side A and a side B because there's enough vinyl, you know, on both sides. You can only fit a few songs on each side. Um, and the side A is what the band got uh, together with the record label. They all agree, like, all right, these are the songs that are going to be the hits. These are the ones that are going to go radio. These are the ones that are going to make money. And so they'd be like, these are your hits. These are your bangers. Like, we're going we're gonna to put those on side A so they're prominent. People listen to those first because they're important. And side B, the backside, right, there was – Lesser-known songs. You know, they had a little more creative freedom in these songs. And and most people, you know, are going to like the hits because of the hits for a reason. But it doesn't take away from the B-side. You know, the flip side of that is that there's other things going on in the heart of the artist um, that you miss if you don't listen to the B-side. So side A of this uh, Christmas with Lawrence Welk, circa 1970. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. We know that one. Everybody knows that one. You got Winter Wonderland, absolute banger. Like, you cannot you cannot diminish Winter Wonderland. Walking in a winter wonderland. Like, come on, we know it. Then on the B side, though, you got Christmas comes once a year. Yeah, maybe you've heard it Christmas Dreaming. Maybe you've heard it. But they don't hold a candle this Saturday. But if you were to miss the B side of this, you're going to miss the heart of the artist from a different perspective in a different way. And uh, that's why when we look at the nativity and we see like, you know, the lesser known characters, the ones that aren't married, Joseph and Jesus, you know, the fact that there's uh, sheep there, that there's shepherds, that there's wise men, like who are the wise men? That's who we're talking about today. What, what, what role did they have? It's really weird when you look into it. And, and we have this tendency to look back in history, especially at stories like this that are kind of ingrained in culture. And if you grew up in church, like, you know, the nativity scene, right? But What is their significance and what what do they mean? And again, if we don't look at the side B, the lesser known elements of the nativity, we miss that. And in that, we miss a unique perspective into the heart of the ultimate artist, God, in all of this. So I want to pray for us as we get started today. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, being a God that's super creative and um, keeps us engaged, wondering at your uh, creativity and your goodness. Lord, would you speak to us today? Speak through me. Change hearts and minds to turn towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. So during Christmas time, I know the last three, four weeks, I've been on one about uh, Christmas being the most wonderful time of the year. Like all the warm fuzzies, you know, that we talk about, like watching my kids go through the magic of Christmas right now is just so much fun. I love it, um, and for many of you, it's, it's the same. It's, you get so excited about Christmas, but I want to acknowledge something that's, that I'm not unaware of, and that's that um, Christmas for many of us isn't that. Christmas for many of us is not the most wonderful time of the year. In fact, Christmas for many of us, we wish we'd just get out of here in a hurry because you want to get on to sunshine. You want to get on to times of year where those memories don't come up you know, of difficult times or people that used to be here that aren't here anymore. And it's just a, it just serves as a reminder of that. And so Christmas can be a really difficult time. It can feel like quite the opposite of the most wonderful time of year. It can feel like, uh, you know, the rest of the world is rejoicing and you're like, what? I'm not there, like not even close. Like it's lacking. In fact, it's, it's maybe the most lonely time of the year. Like maybe because you're alienated from family and friends that used to be close with or just geographic uh, differences just leave you in this place where you're like, I, Christmas just isn't the same and it'll never be the same. Uh, you know, oftentimes it's because uh, someone that used to be there on Christmas is no longer there and it hurts and it's just a memory of all those great Christmases that you had with them and now they're gone and you're just like, I, I don't even know where to start. Like, this is just too much for me, Christmas. I just want it to go. When I was uh, about 12 years old, I remember this. We used to always go to my grandma's house like zero to 12. This was like my time to go to grandma's house. And it was over the river and through the woods, literally to Clackamas we went. And uh, and it was the same thing every year. you drive on Christmas day on I-84 and it's like, there's no cars, it's incredible. And we do that each and every year until one year uh, early in December, my grandpa passed away uh, pretty suddenly. And um, I was still pretty young then. I was about 12 years old, and I didn't understand all of it, and it didn't affect me like it did my mom and my mom's siblings and my grandma, um, you know, who who lost a husband way too young. And and I remember after that, the Christmases shifted for my mom and her, my aunts and uncles, and and especially my grandma. It was never the same. It used to be that we'd go to this house, you know, on Christmas Day, and it would just be warm and joyful. There would be the smell of cinnamon rolls, and then it was just depression and grief, for the next, you know, 22 years or whatever it's been. And it's just, it's just different, it's not the same. And so for many of us, we feel like that on Christmas, it's just the memories of a Christmas that we wish we had that doesn't exist anymore. And it can leave us feeling like we're on one of those movies where the kid goes up to the window in New York and it's like the, the trees back there with a, the with a, with a train going around it and the frosted window and they press their face up against it and they're like, I, I'm just, I can't be in there. I see it, but it's like I'm on the outside looking in. And to me, it's like, I'm not the recipient of the promise of Christmas that can leave you feeling like Christmas is the worst time of year. And not to mention, it's like, it baffles me every year. As a kid, I didn't understand this, but as an adult, I'm like, why the heck is it getting dark at four o'clock? It's like, it gets earlier and earlier every year. I'm like, there's hardly any daylight this time of year. I mean, it can be a depressing time. We talk about, like, all those habits and all those things that we're working on the rest of the year, and then this time of year rolls around, and it's just rainy and dirty outside, so you're in your house with your own thoughts and your own trappings and surroundings for far too long, and those habits creep in, the addictions creep back in, and the stuff you swore you'd never do, it comes back to you in those times. Seasonal affective disorder, that's a real thing, and that can all just compound during Christmas. And what it does is it it leaves you feeling like you're on the outside looking in, like the joy to the world. It's like, yeah, that's great. Other people have it. I don't, and I'm here, and you're missing out. It can kind of leave you feeling like it feels like Christmas isn't for you. I don't know if you feel that way. Christmas isn't for me. The rest of the world is just a reminder that my life sucks There's nothing good going on in the world, in my own world, good for them. But for me, I just wish it were over. Many of us can be in this spot. and And I hope it's encouraging to know that the first Christmas wasn't unlike this for most of the world. The first Christmas wasn't like, we love, misery loves company, right? The Christmas, the first Christmas wasn't like this or was like this for the rest of the world, where they looked on from the outside, looking in. The Jews were the recipient of the promise of God, the Abrahamic covenant, that God would bless the world. It wasn't, they weren't recipients of it. So they looked on, the Jews were recipients. The rest of the world was not, including the wise men. They they were on the outside of the joy, looking in to the joy, but separated from it. So we're gonna talk about the wise men today. We're gonna jump into this story. Most of you have probably heard, but not in this way. So Matthew 2, verse 1, talking about the, shepherd, or the the wise men. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, and it's interesting to know, about that time means about the time as King Herod, not uh, about the time that Jesus was born. Uh, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking this question. He says, where are the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And it's interesting as we look at this, there's a lot of things here, and why I say that time, not because it's helpful, because I want to sound smart. Look, um, the wise men probably weren't there with the shepherds. Just so you know, little known facts, you know that nativity scene that you saw was kind of a lie. They should put a little disclaimer on it saying these probably weren't here at the same time as the shepherds, I think. But they probably weren't there. The reality was uh, they they could have been there any time between his birth and uh, about when he was about two years old. They could have showed up at any time during those times. Again, not a helpful thing, but it it is a thing. Also, there probably weren't three of them. Did you know that? Probably not three of them. There could have been two. There could have been 200 of them. The only reason why we get three is because there were three gifts. Um, We don't really know how many wise men were there. That's not helpful at all for my message, by the way. I just wanted to let you know. (laughs) You can use that little factoid to your your Christmas holiday things, a conversation starter. You're welcome. So you get that here at Branches. You're welcome. (laughs) Probably not three of them. But they show up to a king, Herod, who's actually like a puppet king. And I want, again, this whole message today, I want you to understand, this is kind of hard for us to understand unless we're like in the context. Uh, So try to put your mind, like forget all your cultural things that you know, and try to put yourself in the mind of someone uh, in the first century and what this would all mean. Again, this is a culture where might made right. If you have the gold, you have the power, you leverage that for your own benefit. And when a, a king gets told there's another king, they get upset. And when people show up uh, uh, to a king like this, this isn't like the way it should go. And, And so it's interesting that Herod, if you think about the worst power tripping manager you've ever had, this is Herod. All right? it's like they just got the title manager and you're like, yesterday you weren't a manager and now they're bossing you around. You're like, wait, what's going on? This was Herod. Because if you, if you know the Romans, were, they actually occupied Israel during this time. And so Herod was really just a puppet king. He was a puppet king of the Jews. Uh, he did what, the, what, what, uh, what Caesar and Rome had told them to do. And he was just kind of there. He didn't really have any power, um, but he could still probably kill people if he wanted to. So the fact that a bunch of uh, wise men or whatever you want to call them, magi, uh, kings, astrologers. Really, there were kind of these mystic astrologers with some like royal power, kind of an interesting group. We don't really know how to classify them exactly. They show up to this king asking about a newborn king. This is kind of weird. Like this is just a weird, weird thing. Like people don't do that. Yet the wise men did. And so um, when King Herod heard this news that there would be a king born, he was disturbed. It says that he was disturbed when he heard it. Why? Because he's like, I'm king. There can't be another king. So he starts kind of prodding into this. And you can see Herod is actually a psychotic, genocidal maniac. Uh, you'll see afterwards the reason why Jesus has to flee to Egypt is because Herod after this uh, says like, we're going to kill all the babies under the age of two in the Bethlehem surrounding area. And he just commits commits mass genocide on baby boys in this time. It's crazy. So Herod called for a private meeting with these wise men and he learned from them the time that the star had appeared so he could figure out, you know, where do I need to cut off the genocide at? Like this is psychotic what he's doing here. And he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me because I want to go worship him too. And thankfully, they're wise men, so they're reading into this a little bit more. They're like, oh, I don't know about that. After his interview, the wise men went on their way and the star uh, they had seen in the east that guided them to Bethlehem. So again, they're following a star in the sky, which is weird. And it went ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. And when, the star, or when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Keep that in your mind. When they saw the star, why were they filled with joy? at the star. How did they even know what's happening right now? What brought them here? And those are the questions we wanna answer today. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route because God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So that's probably where they get their name, all the wise men, because they listen to God, right? And they're like, yeah, this guy's a psycho. We're not listening to him. So they go a different way. But I want to answer the question, why? what caused them to show up on this day? Why would they travel? I mean, we're talking up to 40-day journey. This wasn't just like an evening commute. This was like, a you know, we're, we're betting our lives on this. We're, we're betting our well-being on this, and we're showing up to a king to ask about a king. This is crazy. Following what? A star? Like what? Who does that? Why would they journey? What's the expectation? What's the anticipation that they have in this? And this is really what I believe happened when you look at scripture. This is, this is crazy. We're going to go way back to a story that you probably never heard of, definitely not in relation to Christmas. But we're going to go back about 1,500 years to see why I believe the, the wise men were there that day. And it's significant because it has significant meaning for us today. So we're going to go back to Numbers chapter 22. You can read this story on your own through chapters 24. It's a long, crazy story. But I'm going to summarize it for us here. Moses had just led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and there's a bunch of them traveling through the desert. God's promised them the promised land. They're on their way to Canaan, and they're coming up against opposition left and right, and the Jews are just going through, and they're like, they're like somehow winning all these battles. Like supernaturally, God's going before them and crushing other, uh, other countries and other nations. And the king of Moab, which is to the east of Israel, was next in line. And so Israel's going towards Moab and into Moab. And while they're here, um, the king of the Moabites, this guy named Balak, he's frustrated and scared because he heard what uh, Israel had done to the Amalekites and these other nations. And he's like, we got to put a stop to this somehow. And he doesn't know how he's going to put a stop to it. So he goes and he finds this prophet. He's not a prophet of God. He's just some prophetic guy. And he goes to him and he's like, hey, Balaam, this is the prophet, Balaam, I need you to go curse Israel because they're obviously doing some spiritual warfare. So we got to do spiritual warfare ourselves. So he's like, show up and I want you to curse the nation of Israel so they can't do what they're doing anymore. And so Balaam's like, okay, you know, now he's being coerced by a king. Again, you don't tell kings no unless you want to die in this time. He sends a bunch of royal delegates. So he's got princes, these royal people with him to kind of coerce him to make sure that he curses Israel. On his way there, God shows up to him. And he's like, you better not curse my people. And Balaam's like, oh, shoot, what do I do now? So he goes, and, and he's kind of like going back, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to go curse him, I guess. And so he's being coerced. More delegates, more royal people come alongside him. They're all coercing him, like, let's go curse the Israelites. They're on his way there, and, and Balaam hops on his donkey. This story is wild. Balaam hops on his donkey. You don't see another story like this in Scripture. It's wild. He gets on his donkey, and he's riding his donkey, and all of a sudden his donkey starts freaking out. He's like, I'm not going on that road. The donkey's like turning off to the left, and Balaam's like hitting him like, what are you doing, donkey? Hey donkey, right? I can't say that without thinking of Shrek. Anyway, stay focused, guys. Let's focus. He's riding his donkey, and he's all mad at this donkey because his donkey's like running him into the wall and going left and right. And he's like, what is wrong with this donkey? He's hitting him over and over again. Finally, the donkey lays down, looks at up, up at him, and he's like, what are you doing, Balaam? This donkey's talking now. So the Lord gave him the ability to speak, and the donkey's like, what are you doing? Quit hitting me. And he's like, you're not listening to me. If I had a sword, I would kill you. He's like, you don't get it, man. I've been your donkey your whole life, and I've never taken you down the wrong road before. I mean, this is in scripture. This is crazy. And he's like, the donkey's like talking back to him. Stubborn little mule. He's like, nah, nah, Balaam. I'm doing this for a good reason. All of a sudden, this angel makes himself visible to Balaam. The the angel, that the donkey, could see that the donkey's like, I'm not going over there. You're going to die. We're both going to die. I'm not doing that. I'm laying down. And all of a sudden, (laughs) the angel shows up. He's like, Balaam, your donkey was trying to help you out. Don't you get it? And so I just imagine Balaam at this time, like, realizing who it is that he's messing with. Like, what God is this? that goes and makes this donkey talk to him and makes an angel show up that he's like, sure, if I had gone forward, I would have died. And now Balaam's going back to the king of the Moabites. And he shows up to Balak with boldness and with confidence. Now seeing something and experiencing something that you cannot unsee, this is wild. So he shows up to Balak and he says this, and this is in number 24, 16. He said, this is the message of one who hears the words of God. He's like, I've seen it. I've been there. I witnessed this firsthand. Who has knowledge of the most high. He might be thinking, by the way, I saw a donkey talk. This, I have knowledge of the most high God. Again, you do not show up to a king in this context and start saying how there's another king that is the most high. Who's the most high in Moab? Balak. He's talking about another king here. And he says, who sees a vision? I saw a vision from the Almighty, from the Almighty God, from the great God, who shows up to a a, a God and these these kings were often divinized, like they were gods in and of themselves. They were worshiped like gods. And he's showing up and he's like, "Eh, you're nothing compared to this guy. This is the Almighty, this is the most high God. Why? Because I experienced something that I can't unsee and I can't unexperience. And he says, in this vision, this is crazy. In this vision, I see him. Who's he talking about? He's not here and now, but I perceive him far in the distant future. This almighty God. What, what is this? He says a star will rise from Jacob. A star will rise from Jacob. What is that? Jacob's name is Israel. Israel. The star is going to come up from Israel. He's telling them this here now, 1,500 years before Jesus shows up. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter. Now there's royalty included with this. With this star, this person rising, a scepter will emerge from Israel. And guess what? It's going to do. It's going to crush the head of Moab's people. It has the power to make donkeys talk. It has the power to make angels show up. It has the power to strike fear into princes and kings and prophets. This is the king. Cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. That's a you know, that's a, that's a that's a tough visual. But the point is, is like this is an all-powerful, almighty God. When you talk about how you're a king, Balak, this is the king above kings. This is the king of kings, and it's gonna show up someday in the distant future, rising up out of Israel. So you see how this probably played out years and years of, I mean, there's people watching this. There was royal uh, delegates with him watching this whole thing. They had stories that they passed down from generation to generation about someday the king of kings would rise up from Israel. The anticipation, the expectation of the wise men were here from generations ago, this promise of a king who would defy kings. No other king mocks other kings and gets away with it. No other king defies other kings. No other king is able to make donkeys talk and angels appear. No other king does this. This was the expectant king of the wise men who had the power to destroy great nations, mock the face in the faces of other kings. I mean, this is crazy. And this is probably why Herod was so upset. He's like, no kings do this. Nobody does this to me. And this story can kind of seem like a weird one-off, but it really does. It shows the power of this newborn king and the power that he would have over the world and the anticipation of the world that was on the outside looking in with expectancy to this time. And I think it's crazy because the significance doesn't even end there. Again, trying to put ourselves in the place of first century Gentiles. I I don't know of many in scapoos. It was always kind of interesting because I'd like watch movies and comedians. They'd always talk about like, they'd have like Jewish jokes and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't even know what a Jew looks like. Like I've never met one before or whatever. I would venture to guess most of you probably aren't Jews. So this is good news for us today as non-Jewish people. And I'll show you why. Look, we see this in Genesis as the significance of the story goes on in Genesis 12, verse two, it says this. This is Jesus's or God's promise to Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. He says this, I was like, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And this was, we knew this. We saw this in this story. This was a promise that had already been fulfilled with the Jews. And then it goes on to say this. This had not been fulfilled prior to the time of Jesus. He says, all the families on earth, not just the Jews, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham and the Jewish nation. That all families someday will be blessed through the Jews. And Jesus showed up to fulfill that part of the covenant and complete it with his own life, death, and resurrection. This is significant. This is significant, guys. Again, if we could just understand that we were all on the outside looking in. We were all on the outside like a kid at a Christmas window in downtown New York looking at the display being like, well, there's something separating us here. While others were recipient of the promise, we were not. And the weary world looked on with anticipation. I mean, this is crazy. This means that, that, it would, that God wasn't just going to be a God of the Jews, but instead he was going to be the God for the entire world. I mean, this is huge. This is huge for us. And as much as Christmas can kind of be this polarizing time where it's the most wonderful time of the year or it's the most painful time of the year, I get it. I get it. It can be a great time of year. It can be uh, be a very lonely time of year. It can be beautiful. It can be painful. It can often leave us like on the outside looking in but the story of the wise men shows us this important truth that Jesus came for you, all of you. I mean, just sit in that for a second. Jesus came for you, every single one of you. I mean, this is good news. This is what the wise men show us. This is why when they saw the star, they were filled with joy, right? It said in Matthew 2.10, when they saw this star, they were filled with joy. That doesn't make any other sense, unless there was some kind of huge anticipation for this. While the weary world looked on with expectation, Jesus showed up and changed everything. This king of kings would rise out of Israel. This is good, the good news for all people that we hear about. a peace on earth, wonderful counselor, mighty God, he showed up to be these things for us. This is massive, man. 30 years later, I mean, this, again, I tell you, the, uh, this is hard for us to kind of internalize in, in 21st century in United States, um, but it's huge, and the significance cannot be lost in this, because 30 years after uh, Jesus' death, uh, this guy named Paul who was carrying on and pushing forward the good news about Jesus, he showed up and address the same thing that people were still wrestling with. It's like forever, the Jews had been recipients of the promise. And he's like, it's not just for that anymore. It's for everybody. Look, this is a God for everybody. And so Ephesians 3, verse 6, we see this. He calls this a great mystery. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are fellow heirs, fellow recipients of the promise, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through the great news. I mean, this is huge. This is good news for each and every one of us. So what does Christmas mean? What does Christmas mean for us in light of this? What does Christmas mean for us in light of the wise men and their significance? This means that Christmas is for you. Again, Christmas is for you. This cannot be understated. Christmas was for you. And that extends to all of you. And this is good news, that Jesus came for you before you knew him, before you wanted anything to do with him, before you had your ducks in a row before you figured out your marital problems. Jesus came for you in your pain, in your brokenness. He came for you in your pride where you're like, hey, I'm, I'm a 21st century American. I've got pretty good things. I'm not sure I need God. Why would I need that religion? I got to submit to something. I got I to gotta do things. He came for you in that. He came for you in your... Infancy, He came for you in your old age. He came for you. Your nationality, your race. He came for you. Your gender. He came for you in light of your past, no matter how dark or chill it was. He came for you in your present, no matter how big or small your mess. He came for you in your future, regardless of the decisions that you make in your sin, in your guilt, whatever's been done to you, whatever you've done to anybody else. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Almighty God showed up and humbled himself as a mere man to, die a perfect, or to live a perfect life and die a death that you deserve in your place, to reconcile all men to himself, to reconcile everybody to himself. No God does this. No other God does this. It's a God for everybody, no matter what. This is the joy to the world that you hear about during Christmas time. It's the hope of nations. This is the hope for peace on earth. There's no peace apart from him. Temporary, sure, lasting, no. There's no joy apart from him. You can have temporary happiness. There's no joy that lasts in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of the Christmas where you're like on the outside looking in and everybody else is having a good time and you're just like, my life is horrible. That's the God that showed up. It's God that promised himself years and years before to some Eastern nations that would Hang on that word until the day of his coming. I mean, this is good news. After this song or during this song, you can go. We have a prayer room back here. We'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and you're broken, if you're here today and you're very well and you're like, I need something though. I didn't even realize it before today. We'd love to pray with you. And if you want to pray during this last song, just to connect with God, to be like, God, I need you, to commit your life to him, to say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. There's no magic words that'll get you there, but it's really just a prayer of repentance saying, God, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Help me to live for you. Wash me clean of my sins. Help me. And if you make, if you pray that prayer, go tell somebody. It's not a quiet thing. It's a thing that you live out. So let me pray for us today. God, would you be with us? Would you help us to know your great sacrifice, Lord, and the anticipation that the world hung on for you, God? Would we have that same anticipation and expectation, God, that you would show up to us in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our pride, in the midst of our good times and our bad times? Would you speak to us? Show us how to live for you, Lord. Draw us to yourself, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Stand and sit.